The OSS Cubed is back with over $14 million in guaranteed prize pools from September 24th to October 22nd. This massive tournament series features three $1 million guaranteed tournaments. The first takes place on October 15th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, featuring a half-price buy-in of just $265. Just one week later, on October 22nd, we'll have two million-dollar tourneys the same day, one with a $540 buy-in and the Boss Main Event with a $2,100 buy-in. AmericasCardroom.com Okay, welcome to Ask Alex episode 148 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the adverts or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on the OneOuter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at OneOuter.com or you can tweet them to me or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, how are you today? I'm, uh, I'm feeling pretty good, Barry. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. We had, a, we had a good little chat there before we came on air and... Alex has said he's been doing the last few one-hour podcasts with the lights off in his house. So for this episode, he's put the light on and he switched his brain on and engaged. Although you've been really on form the last few shows as well, Alex. That's not fair to... Maybe maybe the dark. Maybe you're working better in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thank you for that. I, I feel there's always the fine line that you want to walk. It, it, enthusiasm and to get people excited to play cards if they're on their way to the card room. And But at the same time, you don't want to do what I used to do, which is just slam energy shots and then scream and throw the laptop while you're supposed to be doing a podcast. It, in Fortunately, I think we're somewhere in the middle there now. And... Uh, yeah, they, I think, yeah, I'm really on form right now, you can tell. But, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's good to be back here. I'm really grateful to be back. Yeah, put the light off. I think you were better in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had some in other fact, I you had should some blindfold other thought, yourself. <laughs> yeah, I had some other thought, but then I was turning my phone on silent, and I saw something. That derailed whatever few brain cells I had lined up. Oh. Oh well, um, is that what the kids say? Someone's sending nudes. Is that what is that what's happening? <laughs> what, what do the kids say? That's that's send nudes, isn't it? Like yeah. like send. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what the kids say. Yeah. Um, okay, so what's been happening this week? Have you been playing any poker? Have you been teaching? Working on any new projects? What's happening in Alex World? I really wanted to play poker this week, and I actually took the time to play poker, and then I woke up to play poker, and I realized something's not right. I didn't know what. I've been really tired the last few weeks. I think it's from the move. There is, in my head is still messed up because it's on Arizona time. So I keep waking up at 11 because that was 8 o'clock where I was. Then there's adjusting to a new place. You have to move into a smaller apartment. There's figuring out the bus system, which maybe you guys just heard. 
there's figuring out the subway system. There's figuring out where you're going to work out, where you're going to shop, how you're going to see your significant other, etc. And during all that time, I hadn't really taken a day to myself. I have every one of those. I have NFL uh, Game Pass. I have uh, MLB.tv. Uh, I have my PlayStation 4 here. I have my Kindle with a bazillion books I bought. And I hadn't done any of that. So what I did one day is I decided, you know what, today's your day. You've been you've been with the girlfriend or you've been working the entire time. You've been working a lot of... I was working till 3 a.m. a number of nights in a row, uh, working on projects for Tournament Poker Edge, working on uh, projects for D&B Publishing, and I hadn't really given myself time to really take a second and see what it was I needed. And that's really dangerous in poker or entrepreneurial work because not only do you have to be the performer, not only do you have to be the quarterback, but you also have to be the head coach. You've got to be the one calling the plays. If you're executing, when I got here, I was executing every play in my book because I had a plan for pretty much, okay, to get to New Jersey, you got to do this. Um, once you're here, you got to get this done and all that. And then I kind of ran to the end of the line, and I wrote down in my notebook, time to play poker. But once I got there, I felt like I don't feel like it's time to play poker. I don't uh, feel like it's the right time. And I usually, I'm pretty good on those feelings. Every time I've played through one of those feelings, it's not ended up well. So I took a day to... I watched, uh, you know, I watched my NFL Game Pass. I uh, I play I played some first-person shooters in Tetris. Uh, I read some Isaac Asimov. I hung out, and I, then I took my notebook out to my Airbnb as this really nice outdoor area uh, where I like to work and hang out. And I took the dogs out there, and I watched the sunset, and I started doodling in my book, and I figured out I, I know what's wrong. I don't have a game plan. I haven't been a head coach for a little while. I need to be the – if the quarterback's going to execute, he needs the plays. So I started writing down. I realized I think playing is a week or two out because there's some things I needed to get done. Also, something that really stressed me out was I was renting my uncle's place in Arizona, and he really did me a solid. He said, oh, don't worry about first and last months. Uh, just be sure to clean this place up when you're done and hand it back to me. And I said, okay, and I figure – well, to, to, uh, e- even though I have a girlfriend, uh, Carlos and I were just living on our own. There was no women there, right? And I was taking care of my mom, and she can't, she can clean around the house, but not a ton. And we were cleaning, but normal wear and tear. And uh, anyway, so we did this genius thing where I was talking to my aunt, and you know, she said, are, are you guys going to clean up? Or are you bringing in a cleaning crew? And I said, this was my fault. I said, we'll clean up, right? So she expected to walk into the place and it, for it to be in good shape. So I cleaned for a day or two before I left. And I said, Carlos, uh, can you take care of this, 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 and this? And he said, yeah. And I said, yeah, but a cleaning crew is coming coming in after, right? And I did have a woman locally come in, right? And I did pay for some work to be done. But I said, Carlos, could you take care of this, this, and this? And he said, good. And then essentially my aunt was depending on me. I was depending on uh, 
Carlos to finish up, and Carlos was defending on the cleaning crew that wasn't coming because I told her I was going to get it done. Completely my fault. So anyway, my uncle has done this great solid walks into the house, and uh, it looks like two single guys destroyed it. And uh, you know, he actually was really cool about it, but he called me up, and you know, I'm seeing some photos of some stuff we missed, like, and just you know, it like. I broke a tile, and I didn't notice. Actually, I didn't break the tile, but I, if I'd seen it, I would have gotten it fixed. Uh, there was just little things like that, right? Just stuff mm-hmm. nobody wants to walk into when it's their house, right? And so, anyway, so I'm trying to get that fixed while I'm here. And then uh, there, there was some personal life stuff I'm not going to go into. Nothing with me, but with my family members I was trying to help them out with. And I just didn't really have a lot of time to go, what, what's the next move? What am I going to do? So, yeah, this week I've been, uh, uh, I'm working with a friend of mine who is a personal trainer. And I, I just go down to the financial district every morning. I wake up at 7 in the morning. I take a bus and the PATH train, go to this little hole in the wall in the financial district and train with him, come back, uh, eating a really good diet, working out, running, and eventually things started clicking. I was writing down in my notebook, okay, you need to do this, 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 and this. And essentially, if I line up a few more things, uh, and I do a few few more things with my business, I'm going to have my rent and all those bills, and uh, uh, I'm going to have them paid out through the end of the year, which really removes a lot of the stress. And... I'm, then I'm also going to start working on, uh, it, well, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but just back taxes with the IRS. It was a real mess with Black Friday. They're trying to charge you for money you don't possess because another branch of the government took it. And then, uh, you you know, you're filing your taxes and, you know, obviously you can't pay it because they have the money and that goes on for a few years. And yeah, I still have that to deal with. It's not that much, but it's one of those things I kept putting off because it was like, okay, uh, get married, then get divorced, and then buy the house, and then move to Arizona, then move to New Jersey. And it's just, it's time to take care of that. It's time to get all this done. Uh, And yeah, I feel like I've got my next live event picked out. I'm going to go to Montreal in November, most likely. Uh, That was a really big step. Uh, I've played I've I played a few sessions on America's Card Room. Uh, I missed one final table. Pretty I missed two final tables actually. I had the I had the chip lead in uh, like the twenty dollar tournament with a thirty k guaranteed or something ridiculous on America's Card Room, and we get into the money and I have the chip lead. So obviously eleven minutes later I'm out. But uh, that was a lot of fun. That that was that was a good time. So I did. I was able to get a few sessions in. I finished 14th in another event, but only got to play a couple sessions. Felt like they were really productive. Feel like I'm playing really well right now. I feel like once my new thing, Barry, is I just want to pay it because you think about it. Your biggest expense every month is rent or a mortgage, right? And I don't know about you, but I'm more, I would be happy with a trailer in Arizona that had air conditioning that was $38,000 that I had completely paid off over renting uh, 
over renting a palatial estate in the Lower East Side or something like that. Do you, are are you big on just keeping costs down? Is that your thing too? Well, I was actually laughing to myself there. <laughs> I can, Why? I can hear myself back there, Alex, for a little bit. I don't know it's stopped now, but um, okay, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, just the usual. Um, no, I was like when you said our uh, the most expense, uh, our highest expense is rent. Uh, mine's is probably food. Really? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, we eat out a lot, you know. Um, yeah, I would say, and then because you know you can rent pretty cheap in Scotland, like mm-hmm. where where we're staying and stuff, and. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say food and entertainment's probably my highest. Out of curiosity, what it cheap is different to everybody all over the world. Like, I rented a, I rented a three bedroom house overlooking the foothills of Costa Rica. That was a cabin with a huge yard, and it was three hundred and fifty dollars a month. And everybody told me I got robbed. Uh, what? What is cheap uh, well, in Scotland? It's more, exp- more expensive than Costa Rica. Yeah, I, I assume <laughs> that, you know, the United yeah. Ca- Kingdom and the pound sterling. What, what, how much is it? Out it's of- like £500, so it's probably oh, about... Not bad. Yeah, uh, there's, there's cheaper places you could get for like 350 and stuff, but they're not... You know, it's they're not what they're, you want. But yeah, for somewhere decent, you're talking at least 500 a month. Uh, Five, five to six fifty, I'd say. My apartment. Well, that's where I stay as well. That's not, you know, that's not capital city or whatever. So. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. It uh, cut out a bit on my side. My apartment here in New Jersey. I am not okay. To give you an idea of where I am, I'm not in Manhattan, which is like what most people think of when they think of New York. I am not in Queens, which is the working class neighborhood across the bridge uh it's like a subway away from new york i'm not there i'm not in brooklyn i am not in the state i am in new jersey i'm not in hoboken i'm not in jersey city which hoboken is supposed to be the slightly cheaper uh place right across the water from uh uh right across right across state lines from uh uh the manhattan financial district I'm not in that city. I'm in Jersey City, I, but I'm not in that city. I'm in a suburb of Jersey City. So I'm essentially in a suburb of a suburb of a suburb of a suburb. My room is, it's literally like I'm looking at it. It is my desk. It is one dresser. It is one bedside table. It is my bed. And that's pretty much it. That's the whole thing. It feels like I rented an office that I sleep in because I'm at my girlfriend's place in Queens all the time because obviously this place can get a little claustrophobic. And the house does have a lot of nice amenities. There's a real spacious kitchen. There's a pool table. There's an outside area. But those aren't mine, right? They, that's yeah. the, that, that's communal living, right? And uh if I want to go cook something, chances are I'm going to be talking to a Venezuelan woman for about an hour when I go out there. And, uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, what does that cost? 1100 Like, that, that is bare minimum. Like, easily could go to 2 k like, if you go three blocks down the street. Like, wow. it, And, by the way, when I found this, I was, oh, my God, this is so cheap, right? Because I don't. 
I don't need much. I, you know, my girlfriend is never coming over here because this smells like boy and dogs, right? It's just not happening. But I don't need much because I essentially work and sleep and read books. And that doesn't take much floor space. And I actually, yesterday I was playing video games at my desk because I put, I hooked up my PlayStation 4 to my TV on my desk, which doubles as a monitor. I was thinking, this is kind of nice. I can see everything really well. Right. But I don't even need a big screen. But uh, like I'm not it. I don't need that much space. But yeah, like if you're trying to get like a decent two bedroom in Queens, you're looking at two point five K easily. And yeah. that's uh, and if you're in Manhattan for a one bedroom, you can easily go to three point five K per month yeah. and people pay it. But yeah, I, I've been into Barry. I've been really into I'm going to pay off everything ahead of time. So I just have freedom to work on the projects I want, hopefully with a focus on the stuff that I will enjoy the most that also will make the most money, which is really likely to do now with Gumroad.com essentially is a personal Netflix. Uh, I just signed up for the premium account now that everything's working so well. Uh, they essentially hand, uh, they handle all the distribution, all the payment processing, all the, uh, the customer relations and all that, and they take three to five percent depending on the plan and which i think is more than fair and if i want i can just make my videos be streaming so it's essentially it's a it's not a training website if i i I make the files downloadable uh but yeah like if you want to sit in on one of my group classes that has a very specific focus you can do that now whereas before it was me processing the payments and all that and so I'm really looking at just saving up, paying off my rent. And then I have a new goal, which is essentially I want to turn 1000 in my account to 36000 because that'll pay for a lease for about a year in anywhere around here. And then from a year without rent, uh, I want to see if I can just write, save up money for something else, you know. And by the way, it's kind of ridiculous. You can buy a house. I always do this crap. People do, people, uh, people do this crap with me. Uh, well, I say, why do you want to play poker? And I, by the way, I've been listening to the response to this answer for five, six years. And most people have not thought this out, right? And uh, I say, why do you want to play poker? I want to buy a house. Right. Or I want to buy a house for my parents. And I go, okay, buy a house in Cleveland. It's $60,000. Oh, not Cleveland. Why? Well, no, I was hoping for a house. Where? Well, you know, my parents live around Seattle. You have a million dollars for a house? Where do you, like, there's a reason people live in those areas and they work at Microsoft or Boeing or something. That's for, uh, the reason, they are that expensive because the people with money are willing to pay for it. And if you think you're going to break into that by grinding 100 NL with rake back, you have another thing coming. But if you buy a decent house in a decent neighborhood in the United States, you will be able to pay it off in full. But nobody wants to do that. They want to live in the lively areas, the places... And when I dig deep, I find out it's not even, I respect more when they say my parents live there, so I want to give them a home there. But what they're usually doing is I want to be seen in this city, and I always have to ask, why is that? 
And who do you think is going to see you? Who do you think is going to congratulate you? Uh, people on Facebook? Like, nobody, nobody cares about what you're... I have done so many fantastic things that I am proud of since I, I sounded like Trump. There are lots of fantastic things I have done. But no, it was I... Beautiful. Uh, it was beautiful. But no, I've been very proud of a lot of things I've done in life. And yeah, I post on Facebook about it. Do you think anybody from my past cares about it? Do you think anybody from high school looks at that? And, you know, they go, oh, okay, nice job. Right, you know, good for you, good for him, right? Like, who do you think's going to see you? It's got to be for yourself. But, yeah, I, I've been really, anyway, I made a game plan for the next few weeks, how I'm going to work less, hopefully make more money. I'm really big on I have to work less because all my ideas come when I'm doing something else. Where, yeah. Whereas, by the way, Barry, I wanted to... I, it, well, now that I've gone down this road, I can't stop. I tried watching Boardwalk Empire again the other night. I am just not into television. I just can't do it anymore. I, I was wondering, why do we do this to ourselves? Like, it's just like violence and people, like, trying to take power. And it's like, do you, do you feel what you... Like, when I was a kid, like, when I was a young male with a ton of testosterone, I was like, yeah, get him! Right? But now I just don't feel it. Like, do you feel it? Anymore, like when you watch no. that stuff? No, it's purely entertainment for me. And uh, the way I use TV and movies is uh, like a form of relaxation, I think. And it doesn't make you tense? No, like, no. Boardwalk Empire made me really uncomfortable. Like there was... <laughs> okay, I watched... So I stopped in season four. So I said, like a few years ago. So I went back to season four. Uh... And I'm doing, I'm having a great day of just getting good ideas, writing them down in my notebook, relaxing, you know, watching football, playing mindless video games, watching anime, whatever I'm doing, right? Then I'm like, okay, I'll go back to a TV series I always wanted to finish. I'll go to Boardwalk Empire. And in the beginning scene, a guy is, uh, well, it's like, it's so profane, I can't even say what happens in Boardwalk Empire season four, episode one, but like... There's just, like, I, I can't even get into it. It was, and I was thinking, okay, I'm a big boy. This doesn't make me that uncomfortable, but I'm sure as hell not thinking about anything else, which is good, I guess, but I'm also not comfortable, right? Which would be uh, a real, which is a real attraction to me. Do you ever feel like when you want to waste time, is that why you watch horror movies, Barry? Because it truly is just mindless. That's why I watch horror movies. Like, yeah, horror, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I love I love horror movies because they're just silly and they're fun. I love anime because it's just silly and fun. And I'm I'm not a big fan of I I, I don't know. Like, uh, Boardwalk Empire would be an example. Uh, oddly, I really love The Wire. Not I'm not sure why it doesn't play on as many. It's more. I guess it made me think a little bit more, and I felt it was a little bit deeper as far as this is going on right now, whereas Boardwalk Empire, I feel, is almost a story of a man, like, being dragged down to hell, and it's, like, it's really, it's about a bunch of people in hell trying to get their life, trying to get some form of redemption, but just keep digging their own grave, and I'm, like, ugh, like, this is... (laughs) 
this is this is uh, this is uncomfortable. Anyways, I I have gone on long enough. I uh, I'm just happy to be here, guys. So, sorry, it's been a while since I went on a real rant. Yeah, no, well, that was eye-opening. I can hear myself back again, Alex. Maybe uh, that's my way of telling you I don't want you to speak, Barry. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, yeah, um, the thing is, it's like, I don't know, it's a real eye-opener when you say the price of that Airbnb for that room, you know, like you say, and I'm saying, oh, this is, you know, cheap here, and you think that's cheap. It is, it's all relative. That's cheap if you're comparing it to Manhattan or whatever. For $1,100, you could get a really nice place in Scotland rented. You know, you could you could rent somewhere nice for... That's probably about £900, something like that. You could get... Yeah, where I like stay, that. you could get like a three, four bedroom probably here, like decent. Right, you know? and uh, well, if, if there are certain things you pay for when you live here, which is tomorrow is free museum day in Manhattan, and you you get to see some of the best museums in the world for free. Uh, mm. I watched a boxing match the other week. It was twenty dollars to. By the way, it was just like the greatest thing in the world. Uh, but what's his face? Uh, Triple G versus uh, Canelo. So you yeah. have like half the theater is old Mexican gentlemen who are repping their flag, and half the theater is Kazakhstanis waving their flags and cheering for their guy. And I was thinking, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to be in this room and hear them going at at it. Every most intense boxing match I've ever seen. It could not exist anywhere but New York City. And that's like any other night, right? Like every other night there's something going on. You want to learn how to tango? Go to Central Park. There's free tango lessons. You want to go to museums? There's free museum days. There's. Do you want to watch movies in the park? They have free movies playing in the park. Would you like to go around to different cities for $2 in 20 minutes? Their transit system is amazing. You do get a lot of things out of it. You do get a lot of culture out of it, but yeah, if you want a quiet life, like this isn't the place. Like it, it would be a place like Scotland, I imagine. But uh, I guess we've gone on about this a bit more. I'm I'm trying to get us to the questions, Barry. Sorry, I could talk about this all day, but I guess yeah. we should get into it. Yeah, let's get into the questions. Um, okay, the first question this week is. Now, it's interesting because I was going to actually discuss a topic, but guys emailed in something similar to what I was going to discuss, but we'll leave that till the end. Let's go into a technical one first. And actually, the two technical questions are similar, so you might cover, cover everything well here. The first one is from Tony. Hi, can you talk about folding big hands like kings and even aces? If we are flat at a four bet, we are playing deep, 50-plus big blinds. We are in position... Guy bets a flop of Queen Jack four, we raise and he shoves. Or if we are out of position, we bet and he shoves. I'm looking at extremes here, I know, but how do we proceed when we sometimes think we what are we beating on these flops with an overpair? Okay, what was the first hypothetical he threw at us? I, I think I missed um, We were flatting with Aces three flops? Uh, if we have flatted a four bet. We are playing deep, 50-plus big blinds. We are in position. Guy bets a flop of queen-jack four. We raise, and he shoves. Well, you got to... This is a lot... Of, uh, thank you for your question, Tony. Um, this is a highly particular situation. It's really... Uh, 
any poker coach that just keeps telling you it depends is really a sorry excuse for a poker coach. But this one, it, it's all depending on will the guy shove kings. And if the guy will shove kings, there's six combos of that. And there's about just as many combos as of sets. But if you think the guy would have just gotten it in with kings pre-flop, then all of those evaporate, and then the guy just has sets. Yeah, you could definitely find a fool, but I, I can't give you a specific right or wrong answer on that one. Uh, whereas, can you fool big hands? I'm really... If I could teach any superpower to my students, it is to fold big hands. You generally know how to make profit on 99% of the hands you play, and then this one hand will come up where you have a hand that's generally good, and you just you get confused as to what to do, and you just stake your entire tournament on it. That's not how I operate. I don't think that's a good idea. If, if I came up to you with a business idea and I told you I didn't have much faith on it, but could you please put every dollar you had uh, <laughs> on it, I don't, I don't think you would say yes. I'm just guessing. But this is what we do. I mean, Barry, it's like you laugh, but that's what people do. That's, uh, yeah. So uh, this is one that I had. So let's, uh, let's say uh, – I got, well, I'll give you a good one. Let's say the board comes uh, – Okay, so a guy opens, you three bet, he calls. The board comes eight of diamonds, six of diamonds, four of clubs. He checks to you, you bet, and he check raises the size of the pot. Looks like he's ready to go. Uh, you're about 50 big blinds deep. I do have to get it in there a decent amount of the time because there are guys that will do that with nine, eight, there are guys that will do that with pocket tens, but that's not the field right now. The field, I looked this up the other day on a particular site uh, where I happened to, well, I just, I, I was working with a number of students. I kept looking at their database and I went, how often do you guys really get check raised? So I looked it up and it was 6%, 6% of the time people were getting check raised. That is a very, that is a glacially low number. Right? Like, that is preposterously low. You flop a set more often than 6% of the time. So, that shows people in general are scared to check raise bluff. I can also tell you this is true because I wrote an entire book about poker, and the section check raising was just everybody wanted to talk about it with me. I made a video about check raising. And the only check raise anyone ever does is from the big blind. They call from the big blind and they check raise the C-bet. That's the only one they do. How many times do you see a guy flat a three-bet, Barry, and then check raise the flop? Yeah. Without a hand. Without a hand. When was the last time you saw a guy do that then fold to the jam? Yeah. Can't remember. I, know. I wouldn't. I need to see his cards, obviously, to know if he was doing Right, that, right. But, but, like, if he folds, that's a pretty good indication he was yeah, bluffing. Yeah, he's right? got nothing. Yeah. 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 That's why when people do, though, like, I pay attention to every showdown. I go, that's not enough, right? But uh, anywho, I, I find it, like, when I check-raise bluff somebody, I'm actually really proud of the other guy when he jams on me because it just doesn't happen that much. By the way, that's not like a play I do every day of the week. It comes up, a guy's three-betting the 
the daylights out of me and see bets every single board. I can't flat him if I'm just if I don't have a plan for all three streets. I can't flat him if I'm not planning to donk lead some of the time, and I can't plan him. I can't flat him if I'm not planning to check raise a number of times. And many people just don't have that. And then furthermore, we can flip this on its head because if I see that there and the guy check raises and I don't know anything, I just remember, uh, I just remember me going up to Barry Chalmers and go, Barry, I have this business idea. I'm, I don't have that much faith in it, but it, could you please invest all your money in it? Nobody in God's green earth would take that bet, nor will I. If I am confused, I've spent enough time thinking about poker that I'm going to assume there's not that much profit in it. Do I get bluffed? Yes. But, okay, hearkening back to our last podcast, if you fear something, it gives it credibility. It makes it alive. Pennywise comes back to haunt your dreams and bite off your nine-year-old's arms. But you, if you fear something, you give it more credibility than it does. Why is everybody so afraid of being bluffed? Do you think Kobe Bryant's never been dunked on? Do you you think you go in, like, that that is the most entitled worldview you could have. That I am going to show up for a poker game, and I am so good, and I am so special that no one will bluff me. No one will bluff me. Does that sound right? That's part no. of the game. That's part of the game. The, half the reason I'm so fascinated with baseball is I love to see them recover from failure. I, I really, I, I am in love with watching men overcome their obstacles. And when they do it, I love to see where these guys go in their head to see how they pull it out. I like to see their relaxation techniques. I like to see where they move their eyes. I like to hear what their, uh, I, I like to hear what their coaches say to them. There was an amazing moment uh, in the Canelo Alvarez triple G fight. Uh, I don't know if you got to catch it, Barry. Did you see that? No, I didn't see it live, but oh. I saw highlights of it. Oh my God. That was a fight. That was a prize fight, Barry. If you get a chance to see the replay, well, at first, Canelo came out, and he was just in lightning form, man. Like, I, I, this guy, like, when he was slipping from a punch, he, he could move four feet in a tenth of a second. He was just so fast. In Triple G, for the first time in his life, this is a guy who does not have a loss in his professional career, right? Has, like, 400 fights in Kazakhstan where he didn't get knocked down, much less lost, right? And... uh the, he just looked befuddled. Canelo Alvarez was just sh- shimmying and just it knocked him over and over. And just every time he threw the punch, he countered. And he easily got the first few rounds. And then he tired and Triple G came on. And Triple G was just dismantling him. Like just like a technician. Just the jab was just weakening him. And it was the first time I'd ever seen Canelo does this thing where he lays against the ropes. And he does the, oh, look, I'm defenseless, throw a punch at me. And then the guy throws a lazy punch, and Canelo is one of the greatest, like, counterpunchers, just knocks his lights out. This is the first time I'd ever seen Canelo go against the ropes intentionally, get rocked by a punch and go, okay, screw this, right? Like, I'm off, I'm off, okay, okay, we'll fight, right? And he was just losing for, like, nine, ten rounds, right? 
and uh, not nine, ten rounds, like six rounds. And his coach got up to him in the tenth round, and he said, "These last three rounds, you can hear him saying it like re- he got like within an inch of his ear bear, and he said, "These last three rounds are for your entire life. If you do not come with it, like it's over." And he came out in Barry. It was like the most inspiring thing I'd ever seen, right? It, because he came out and he saved the bout. It turned into a draw, and I think it was pretty appropriate as a draw. I know a lot of, I, if I had to edge it to someone, I'd give it to Triple G, but I thought it was fine as a draw. It looked like a draw. One of the scorecards was an absolute joke, but it I was, heard that, yeah. yeah, it was, a, it was a joke, but it was a great fight. But that's the thing. We have to, this is a professional boxer. This is probably number two or number one in the world. He spent six rounds getting his head punched in, and he still came up. Half of you guys get bluffed and then, like, pout about it like I'm supposed to care. Half of you guys get a set on you when you have an overpair, and you pout to me like I'm supposed to care. And my question is always, could you have found the full button? And you seem aghast. Aghast. How dare you not sympathize with me? Buddy, if you want somebody to hear a bad beat story... It's not going to be me. I just, I've been around this game for, it's going to go on about half my life here pretty soon. Uh, I don't care. I, I really don't care. Could you imagine a boxer going, I got into the ring and he hit me. Like, what, what did you think was going to happen? You're so, you're so worried about this. Like, like, you threw a jab and the guy countered, and you're so worried about that counter, you're going to do this really wild move to save your own ass and probably open up for the knockout. Or you could just let him throw the counter and practice what you practice, which is, okay, I lost a small pot. Such is like, this happens to you all the time, right, Barry? You see that the guy's check raises big and you go, oh, gee, God, what am I going to do? Every time you get it in, how often are you right? Yeah. It doesn't happen, right? And if it does, you're always surprised. Now, is that a good thing? Is that a good thing when you get all your money in and you're ahead and you're like, oh, gee, God, look at that. Oh, he's got king. Sweet. On this queen jack export. Because, you know, the drink girl knows he's got queens. But I just really had to get all my money in here because I drove an hour and 20 minutes to this casino because I really needed to know if I got sucked out on. you, You know when to fold. You know when to fold. There's a whole... I, I don't – this next part is so hard to word. But there's, a, there, there's this big shift that needs to come in your head, which is I'm not going to try to fold aces. I'm going to fold aces if it is necessary. You have to act as if. There, <sighs> I had one other thought, and it was really important to this, but I lost it. Hopefully, I'll get it for the next one. All right. We want the technical question or the esoteric question you had at the end? I'm I'm going to go with the technical one because it's a very, very similar situation, and it might trigger something that reminds you of what else you were going to say there. Um, So this one, just in case you can add anything into it, it's a very similar question, actually. Um, It's from Ryan. Hi, I have a question on a situation I have problems with. I raise, say, pairs sevens to tens. I am then three bet, or, uh, sorry, I am, I'm three bet, 
I flat, say playing 40 big blinds deep. Flop is all undercards. I bet and I'm raised all in. I normally play live, so I don't have any history or stats a lot of the time on players. How do I proceed with this situation? What? What? He's raising with threes to tens, calls a three bet, then leaves? Uh, seven, sevens to tens. Okay, so he leaves. Three bet, and then he flats, says playing 40 big blinds, and the flop is all undercards. He bets, and he's raised all in. Well, the, temp- the temptation there to lead out to see where you're at, you really have to, find, you really have to quiet that within yourself. Uh, th- thank you. Uh, what was his name? Ryan. Ian. Ian, I really care about you. That's why I forgot. Ryan. 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 R-Y-A-N. Joe, thank you for writing in. <laughs> uh, but, uh, Ryan, thank you for writing in. I thought, it, yeah, I, I kind of misheard. Sorry about that. But you have to really quiet that inner voice that says, lead out here, see where you're at, because a professional is just going to go, why isn't he checking to me? I was the three better. If he really had something really bigger, wouldn't he check and try to trap me? Okay, I'm going to jam with hard to complete the sentence. It's really hard to complete the sentence. This is, uh, college professors will always hear this crap. Uh, uh, the guy gets a 56 on the test. And he go, the kid comes up and says, like, look, I, I really understood it, but I just, I have a problem with taking tests. It's like, you, <laughs> I could not, when I went into my driver's test, I could not, ha- I was so, it takes pride to be ready for a test. It takes pride. I don't take tests I'm not ready for. That's not something I do. That it, it, it just, sorry, hold on a second. Yeah, I'm triggered. I'm triggered, <laughs> Barry. Uh, I'm, the, I, you could not, you could pistol whip me and I would not play bad. I, I have played poker on the day family, I've had to because of tournaments. I play poker on the day family members have gone to the hospital. Now, do I play my best poker? No. Do I play bad poker? Absolutely not. It took me a very long time to get there because I it didn't it wasn't personal. It was not personal. They had this guy. Uh, if I've told you guys this story before, I'm going to say it again because I'm an old man on the stoop in New Jersey just spitting his, uh, uh, his rhymes and his uh, stories. But there's this uh, MLB player. He plays for the Brewers. I'm not going to remember the guy's name. Uh, he was a washout in, uh, in, the, in Major League Baseball. Drafted really high, got a signing bonus, came in. Worked up through the minor league system, flamed out at the majors, flamed out at AAA, flamed out at AA, and then he got offered money to go play in South Korea. And so he went to South Korea, and he was, you know, this is a, it's a larger black man living in South Korea in kind of like a weird province. And something clicked, and they asked him what happened because he became a legend in South Korea. They started calling him like God and Zeus because he was such a good hitter. And he said, well, I, 
if I'm paraphrasing, I think he said, I looked around and realized I was in a hole-in-the-wall apartment in South Korea, and it became really personal. At that point, every at-bat was personal. And then he just got a $12 million contract to come back to the Milwaukee Brewers. He's, he's a cleanup hitter in the United States again. He came back because it got personal, right? Now, this is a thing to me about this hand is I just see a lack of understanding with the fundamentals. Most of you do not know the fundamentals. Why is it everybody that gets taught a language in school cannot speak it three years later? Barry, what language did you take in school? Deutsch. Can you speak it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I took three years of Japanese. I can't say a word. Yet, strangely, if you live in a country for a year or two, you start speaking the language. Why is that? Because you're deeper in the fundamentals. You hear the sentence structure. You hear the exact time they use the words. Whereas when you're studying a language, it's rote memorization. You guys are doing rote memorization. Why do you format? Here's the, thi here's the thing. Why, why, starting with a basic. Why do you format? You format because flatting the three bet, according to every equity analysis, is very difficult to make money from. You format to make a profitable bet. I would bet dollars to donuts, uh, Joe here, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, Ryan, I would bet dollars to donuts here that Ryan has never done a Cardinal EV analysis of a four bet. Because nine times out of ten, if the guy's three betting you enough to call, it is more profitable to jam. Or you could make a very fixed strategy if you assume the guy's check rate betting 100% of the time or 80% of the time and check jam the flop. But we do not have our fundamentals here. If you can't play 40 big blinds, how are you going to play 100? If you cannot play 40 big blinds in a $5 tournament, how in the hell are you going to play 100 big blinds at a WPT final table? How in the hell are you going to play 50 big blinds at a Sunday Million final table? How are you going to master one? How are you not going to master one and then get to the other? The truth is you won't be ready. You'll do what I did when I was young. You will get to the Sunday Million final table and you will choke. You will get deep in the PCA, and you will choke. And then you will hear everybody making fun of you. If you want to learn the way I learned, go ahead, do it. I don't want that for you. I don't like it. Once it got personal to me, once everybody was making fun of me, once, everybody, once people felt like they had the right to go up to me and tell me that I played like crap on the EPT Live, then it got personal. Then it got really personal. If you were going to talk to me, I was going to have something to say back. By the way, I've run most of my plays and most of them cleared. But I thought very deeply about tournament theory and whether they were the right at that instant. I constructed my arguments. I thought. I took my time. People don't do that. It's not personal to you. It's a hobby. If it's, if it's just a hobby, and by the way, I know, by the way, Ryan, this isn't personal, but this is me talking to all my students, okay? It's just, 
I know if you spent, like, literally it would take one hour to learn how to run Cardrunner's EV. I, I'm not good with computers. I actually hate computers with a passion. You'll never see me playing PC games. You'll never, I was never into PC gaming growing up. I hated it. I, I, I can run Cardrunner's EV, so you guys have no excuse. I have no mathematics background. I was told I had to go back to ninth grade math when I tried to sign up for junior college. They said, you are not good enough for junior college in the United States of America. These are the same institutions of higher learning that provide Play-Doh and crayons for safe spaces for, chi- for children, for adults, quote-unquote. They said I, didn't, I did not have the math skills that those kids have. You guys have no excuse. It takes an hour to set up Cardrunner's EV, learn how to do it. It would take 45 minutes to run this. And by the way, you, you're not supposed to have the specific answers. It's not rote memorization. There's no such thing. Do you think any chess master memorized every possible counter move? Does that sound possible? No. He has a nuance, or she has a very nuanced appreciation, which is built from the fundamentals. From that, it, you, honestly, they do, they do this thing. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. They do this thing in music schools where they, uh, they start like the, the guy who can play the trumpet, uh, the, the guy who does it with the symphony. He'll be like, okay, play these opening, I don't know anything about music, but play these opening notes, whatever they say, right? And the kid will kind of half-ass do it. And then the guy will pull up his trumpet, and it's this thing that everybody just goes through, and he will make those notes sing. And then he will put it down. And these are people who are tr- like they have played the trumpet their entire life. But they're getting lazy with the fundamentals. Do you think the master ever got lazy with the fundamentals? How many jabs do you think Floyd Mayweather has thrown in his life? You're not throwing a jab. You, got, you guys focus on the knockout. You guys focus on what the big final table is going to be. What, what am I going to wear at the final table? What are people going to say about me? What will I play after that? What? <laughs> I, I used to hear, I was told... So I, I, I was told once, my, and my father actually did me a great service, which was uh, he taught me how to train. We trained a lot for a lot of different sports. It didn't pan out. But the one thing he said that I really disagreed with is you've you got to think the way a winner thinks. And the winner thinks about like what they're going to do when they get to that stage or whatever. I don't think about any of that crap. I think about my study every day. I got to the point, I struggle with confidence in everything in life. I didn't know how to drive till five weeks ago, okay? I struggle with confidence. I have none of it in poker. And it's not, it, it, it's not because you think I'm going to be supremely confident and then I will be good at poker. No, 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 no. You act and then you feel. You act and the action is studied. If you don't feel good, everybody does this. I want to feel good. 
uh, I need to get motivated to exercise. No, you exercise to feel motivated. You, you, if you don't feel like it, you just put on your shoes before your brain can think about it. You short-circuit your brain by doing it within the Mel Robbins quote, I think. It is. You give yourself five seconds to put on your running shoes, and then you just go. You just go, and then everything will follow. I have supreme confidence in my No Limit Hold'em game because I have done the work. You need to do the work. I can tell when you ask this question, you have never worked on your four best. You would know damn well. You're giving me an unanswerable question. It's, it, it, both of these are, I, uh, yeah, so don't ever email any guy. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking well, I, to both you know, of you. Barry, I've always <laughs> held back these kind of speeches. And lately I've just said, you know what? I'm not going to keep coaching if I can't do it my way. And yeah. I used to dream about, oh, I would just like to teach classes. Uh, I would just like to, I really love making the products. I really love making the videos. I really love doing the research. No, I'm never, but I, I used to think I don't want to do personal lessons. I've gotten back to personal coaching because one, it saved my ass. Uh, when, I was do, when I was not feeling good about myself, having to be there for two or three people every day was a great way to feel better. If you want to feel better when you're down about yourself, the worst thing you can do is focus on yourself. The best thing you can do is do something for another person. Your neighbor is elderly. Can't she, she isn't getting around the garden. Why don't you get off your dead ass when you're feeling bad, go get out the trimmer and trim around the, the garden for her. Don't even tell her you do it. Don't even ask for anything. Just do it. I guarantee you will feel better. I guarantee it. And yeah, doing the personal coaching, I finally just let it out. Because these are the things I'm thinking. And you know what? You're either going to be offended by what I say, in which case I don't want to work with you. Or you're going to get off your dead ass and you're going to finally do. How long have I been talking about Cardrunners EV on this program, Barry? Years. How long? Years. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, well, that's the other thing. If you had ever parsed the ranges on Cardrunner ZB, or even Flopzilla. In a lot of those situations where you have an overpair, you're bad, and the guy check raises big. You would know there's not... If you, I can tell the people who haven't done that on Flopzilla because you count the flush draws and you go, the first time you do it, you go, oh my God, there's only like seven flush draws here versus all these sets and all these other... And I don't even know if I can count all the flush draws. Or there's this two-pair combo... There's this set combo. And even if he has these draws, I don't have a ton of equity versus them. And if you put it in card runner's EV, it comes out to like you're barely profitable. If you're lucky. And then if you start hedging off bets, it, it's not that good. Everybody, it, the, we were taught in the education system, the idea is to memorize answers. That is not true. Do not trust me. Do not trust anyone. Ask questions ask better questions and give yourself permission to fail give yourself permission to fail it is not if you do not progress if you do not fail you are supposed to fail forward you are supposed to fail productively they don't when they're hiring at big firms here in new york city 
I, I'm reading these guys' books. I'm talking to these guys in passing. They're like, we don't hire anybody who's never gone through anything. It's actually a liability if you went to a really nice school and got a good job out of college with, that your daddy helped you with because we don't know how you're going to handle adversity. And a lot of you guys are just hoping for that handout. You're just hoping for the tournament where the guy's not going to check-raise you and it's not going to expose you've never done the work. I'm done. Okay. Um, so basically, four bet guys more than yeah, four more bet more. Flat than three bet. Four bet. Four, 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 four yeah, bet that, more. that was the Cliff Notes answer. Four bet. Yeah, four bet more or fold. <laughs> now, the best advice if you are looking for a cheat sheet, I'd say the best thing that Alex and he actually t- touched on it earlier um, in this episode is that one of the best things you said to me is if you're in this situation where you don't know what to do, just fold. Yeah, yeah. If I could give anybody yeah. anything, it would be that. If I could yeah. give anyone anything. And then just that's something I always wanted to tell you guys. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably really into poker. You probably watch Poker Go. Because the people who are the people that listen to podcasts, Barry? They're people like when I was coming up, I listened to the Pocket Fives podcast. Oh, my God, that dates me. Uh, about 11 years ago, oh my god, that's crazy, 2006, was doing my laundry in college place apartments, the apartment complex that became an apartment complex because people kept killing themselves there when it was a hotel, and I was listening to podcasts because I couldn't get enough poker. Those are the people that listen to poker podcasts. People are casually into poker, they watch it on TV. If you are listening to a poker podcast, and it's not a poker podcast with Daniel Negreanu on it is with this jackass in New Jersey named Alex Fitzgerald. You are really into poker. If you do not know what to do, likely there's no profit in it. Mark the hand and then go look at it later. Find a way around it. Don't just blow it off. Do the work. Okay. All right. All right. I'm going to take a – I'm going to go battle somebody out on the street, Barry. I'm in that kind of move, mood. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, do you have time for this question, or do you have something on straight I'm away? feeling good. Have... Let's do it. Okay, this one is from Gregor. There is a lot of talk recently about elite poker players thinking so far ahead of the field that even greats like Negranu and Helmuth are drawing dead in smaller field MTTs against them. Is this true, and what are these players doing that is causing this shift? Now, that's really interesting because I saw on Twitter either yesterday or the day before um, Negrano tweeting something about Helmuth's not even in the top 100 or something in the world in his oh, estimation. Shit, and, yeah, like, <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah, And a few other bits and pieces and it was all going back and forward. And everyone's raving about these young German guys, uh, Feeder Holtz and the guy that just won this 100k Poker Master stuff and that as well. So... What's your take on that, Alex? Are these guys doing anything way out there, or just just run with that? What the guys asking? No, uh, thank you for the question, Gregor. Uh, like, yeah, Germans are really good at winning two table sittings for a hundred thousand dollar entry. Like, yeah, I, I admit they're really good, uh, but. Uh, okay, like, on this side of the desk, and I'll give you guys my honest analysis. If, uh, 
I think the best example of this that I think everybody would come to is I, I have no illusions about my strengths in poker. I, I think there's one day, by the way, my career is not over. There's, there is a real good chance I could make the show. Uh, but I accept, like, if this were soccer, I'm not playing for Real Madrid. I'm playing for the MLS, right? Whatever. Uh, I'm playing in the States. I'm, uh, I, I'm not, if this were baseball, I'd be a really good AAA player. You can call me up. I'll be dependable and I'll work. Am I on the level of those German guys? No. I'll say that right now, okay? They're far, a lot of those German guys are way better poker players than I am. And probably always will be. Uh, they're more tailored to this. I know we're not supposed to say certain people believe in certain things, but like... Uh, I'm American. I'm kind of hot-headed. I'm kind of ag super aggressive. I work more hours than I should, and I think that makes me pretty American. I think that's pretty definable. Germans are very exacting. I it, I have a great appreciation for their work. I I read uh, well. I was educated by two German poker players. I spent time when I was 19 years old in Regensburg learning from a guy who. I could say his name now, but I don't think he wants you to know. Uh, you would, but he's kind of a private guy. I don't think he'd appreciate it. And then when I was in Malta, I both of my roommates were German, and I learned more from them than probably anybody. Not just about how they learn about, uh, not just about poker, but just how they think of life. Uh, they one was. Uh, I, I was introduced to my political beliefs uh, through one of them. Uh, he was the most logical thinker I'd ever heard. I, I, I was introduced to my dietary beliefs through one of them. What they're doing, as far as I can tell, and I bring parsed down versions to many of you, is they do the work that many other people aren't doing. I guarantee you, Phil Hellmuth and Negreanu are not doing this work. They might hire these guys as consultants and they're getting a different version, but like, are they in the nitty-gritty figuring out why certain plays work and why they don't? No. Now, does that, not, does that mean that Negreanu and Hellmuth couldn't hand me my ass at a live poker table? No, not at all. I think... I. I think both of those guys are far better at live poker than I'll ever be. Uh, I, I think they're both geniuses, quite frankly. I think uh, I think Phil Hellmuth is very prone to emotion, and I think that hinders his game a great deal. And Negreanu I've always had a very, very high opinion of when it comes to poker tournaments. The German gentlemen that have come into the game, and uh, to a slightly lesser extent, the Russian gentlemen, are fascinating. Uh, I really love to read what they're writing, to read what they're into, uh, to read about how they think of the game. What is the difference between them and many of these guys? I don't think it's anything special. I think they do the work. They really do the work, and I think they're uh, guys like... Uh, Oh, hell, what's his name? Philip Hui? No, that's not him. Um, 
Philbort. There, thank, there we go. Couldn't couldn't come up with it. Uh, Philbort, Fedor Holes. These guys, like, they just go in and they do the work. And uh, very balanced games, very... But there's guys like... Uh, there's guys like Negrano, you can just throw the poker books out the window because he'll make such a great read on the guy, and he'll do a play. Like, I've seen him check-raise. Like, the board was king-jack-5. I've seen him check-raise jack-4 for value because when the guy double-barreled on the turn, he could tell the guy was bluffing. He thought he might flip out if he check-raised. That is not in any poker book I could write, okay? Uh, I don't see that. In many of these German pros, I see, and for, furthermore, I played with Fedor Holz uh, for an for an entire day. I, I, he's a very good player. I didn't see anything that blew me away. You also have to remember that many people who are fans of poker are trying to make this a sport. I am a tremendous fan of sport. I love watching sports. Poker is not a sport. They used to call Phil Ivey the Tiger Woods in poker. Phil Ivey told Mike Sexton to shut up with that. They asked him why. He said, nobody could ever dominate this game the way Tiger Woods dominates his. This was back when, if Phil Ivey went three weeks without a final table, it was kind of weird. And, you know, as far as uh, are the Germans dominating poker, yes. They pool their money. They're very intelligent investors. They're good at diversifying their portfolios. They're very well studied. They're very hard workers. Uh, if you look in the worlds of finance, nothing they're doing is rocket science. But it's very much practiced in other industries, and they have translated it very successfully, and in my opinion, in the best way to poker. But the fields they dominate are these super high rollers, which I think is actually a very intelligent idea because if you can get outside investors and diversify, and if you could pick up on some small edges, why wouldn't you want to beat up on those, right? Play 20 to 30 per person fields. But when it comes to the big field tournaments, there's nobody good enough that you would have to worry about it. It's something that the tabloids like to reach for because they're trying to sell magazines. I don't feel I could add more to it. So, yeah, I guess we'll just leave it there. So, these guys, you know, you mentioned, you know, Helmuth and stuff. You got Phil Ivey, obviously, um, as a, you know, a, a beast that's out there on his own. In terms of high stakes cash games and stuff, you know certainly. And Stu Unger, even back in the day with with the tournaments and yeah, cash games as well. Um, but these guys weren't like you say. I, I can't see Helmuth sitting down and crunching numbers and ranges. Right. And, you know, he says he openly says himself. I mean, he says some stuff that is now being completely ridiculed. But it's it's hard to argue. With his ability, um, I think it was Doyle Brunson tweeted something like, you know, basically he's one of the best in terms of going through a field oh, yeah. of yeah. other players and stuff. And the bracelets and stuff are certainly there to back that up. But these young guys, is, it, is there part of it, that, like you're saying, like, I'm, don't get me wrong, these German guys, 
they are machines. They are no doubt they are poker machines that love the game, totally immersed, work putting the work in, etc. But again, it's one of these things. I've heard all this five years ago with other players that I don't even hear about. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't. Uh... You know, I remember the. What's the guy's name? Was it um, Constant Reichberger, Reichenberger, something or someone? EPT tournament winner. I think he. I, I, I don't want to slander the guy here, but he. I think he doesn't play much at all anymore. And there was lots of stuff I read regards that. And then even if you go back further, um, you know, all these players uh, that, that come and go, and they're, they're the best things since sliced bread when they're around. And then they're. They're not even mentioned five years ago, you know, five years later or three years later or whatever. And there was someone commentating the other day. I was watching some of that Poker Masters. Remember, I told you I actually uh, got the Poker Go subscription. And, uh, you know, it has been given. One of the commentators, I looked at his Hendon mob and he, he hadn't. He's ridiculing people and stuff and whatever. I and love that. He <laughs> ha- he's not won anything. Like more than you know, three four figures in something like six seven years, yeah. and he's he's there like giving it this in analysis and bad analysis. Even for myself, who poker isn't my living. It's not you know I I I'm really interested in the game. I enjoy playing the game, and I just want to try and play at a decent level so I can be competitive when I enter a tournament or I sit and play a little bit of small stakes cash. That's enough for me at this point in my life. You know, it's like, that's why I always said, why I, I, any ideas of being professional, I, I wasn't going to put that work in. So I, I quit, you know, it's like, there's no point kidding yourself mm-hmm. on. And um, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of this, it comes back to just simple things like, like sample size again. And how can you really judge someone in the space of, you know, this feeder holds no doubt he's a great player and he can play he knows how to play cards. But yeah, let's in terms of judging him, in terms of legacy and that the way you know, Helmus takes it you like you said it, emotion, he takes it so personally and you can see it. To him, he wants to be the Tiger Woods of poker or right. Jack Nicholas. And you know, that idea of him not winning like a purple jacket, seriously. Just the purple jacket. That would have meant everything to him. These guys won't give a shit. But to him, that's the master's equivalent. Or, you know, that's like the green jacket. And I I could tell um, that he's serious. You know, when that is personal to him. And Negranis came out and said a lot of things. And uh, Helmans came out and said, I am really taking it personal because it is personal. It's it's his life. Uh, You know? And I... uh, I That that's so. It's a job. So it's a fun job, but it's still a job. But in in terms of the mass, Alex, when you like, I don't know anyone else when I'm reading and stuff that puts in, you know, or maybe they do, you know, they put in as as much work as yourself in terms of with the numbers and looking at concepts and analysing it and getting down to the nitty gritty and the maths and the the statistics behind it, etc., and using the poker tools that are out there. So when you say yourself that these guys are, you're not in the same sort of ballpark as these guys and that whatever, 
then if it's not the work, what are they working on that you're not working on, or 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 is it a cultural makeup thing? Like we can stereotype here. It is the one out or dot com podcast. <laughs> are the, uh, are they ice-cold Germans and Russians and they have a part of their brain that allows them to just be an extra percentile more clinical and cold and calculating or whatever and you might make a rash play sometimes even with the work or you might do something that, or whatever. What, what is it that they're working on that you're not or, or is it literally that? It's just character and, and different Well, uh, they're also, don't forget the Swedes also. They're really good. Uh, oh, yeah. Um... I think it's specialization. Uh, I, th- I think it's a lot of, uh, like, yeah, I do a lot of work, and uh, I am better at teaching poker than pretty much anyone working right now, but that's because I involve myself in fundamentals and bum hunting fundamentals. Like, if you're playing, 99% of my clients play very small average buy-ins, right? Like up to a thousand dollar MTTs, fifty dollar MTTs, and that's what I enjoy, and I make a good living from that as well. And uh, that's where I made all my money, and that's mostly what I focus on. They're they're really like breaking down each. It's just the work. They uh, they watch replays. Uh, they they bring in uh, behavior and analysts. Uh, they. They document like every hand the guy is playing. It's a lot like a. a I'll put it to you this way: There's a. In basketball, they've had this thing with analytics coming in, and it's really hard to teach guys with analytics because you have to remember a lot of these guys grew up playing basketball as a form of combat in the park, right? Like I don't know if you've ever seen a street basketball game in the U.S. Barry, but like there's a lot of shoving and elbows and it's it's tough right and uh to them basketball is a game of aggression and once you get to the nba it becomes a game of finesse and there's a lot of mathematics that goes into it so trying to teach people who are aggressive uh with the game it's going to be very tough and then there's like there's guys like Kobe Bryant, there's guys like LeBron James, who, there's guys like Michael Jordan who will do anything to get better. They will listen to anyone. They will take every... Now, that doesn't mean they're going to take 100% of what you say or even 1% of what you say, but they're going to listen. The king, the wise king has many counselors, as the Bible puts it. And mm-hmm. the thing I see these guys doing, Barry, is they pick their game... In this case, it's the super high rollers and the high rollers, and they mercilessly go out it. They combine their bankrolls, they take in outside funding, uh, they have way less of themselves than a lot of you guys realize. They, so they're playing for less of themselves, they have less pressure, and they do work leading up to it. They do a lot of work. That's what separates all these guys. And I'm not working on how to beat a super high roller because none of my students play super high rollers. I'm working on how to help you move up on the rankings and pocket fives. I've been blessed enough to get a few guys. I didn't get them there, but number one pocket fivers. Uh, I've worked on a lot of that. I've helped guys beat big field uh, tournaments. Uh, We do add 
I do have some students who have WSOP bracelets. Uh, I do, I do have students that got some player of the year honors. Those are my focus. That's not their focus. So are they far ahead of everybody in like the big field tournaments? I, I'd like to think I have some tools of the trade that work pretty well, but they're exacting and they know their game and they're working very hard on it. And I think they're very open to the analytics. I, I see when I see all those guys, that was the thing I learned from uh, the Germans is they were just very open to looking at new information. Many uh, of the Russians and Germans I grew up with, they came from a chess background. They knew all about watching matches back. That was something that was pretty new uh, to poker players watching. They were very open to studying. I, I'm old enough to remember when studying was laughed at. It was still like poker was still a game of out-aggressing the other person. Uh, I, I can remember being laughed at because I said I had to study something that day. They never shied away from that. And this culture of study has been developing for so many years, whereas I think they got a three-year head start on the American pro. And furthermore, they didn't have legislation just rip away many uh, sites that gave them tons of experience with an international audience. So you put some things like that. I think it's going to edge them out. Do I think like it's the Germans game forever? No, no, not at all. It's just like women's golf with uh, South Korea. The, there was one very successful South Korean lady who did really well on the LPGA tour. And then the whole country got into it. They have really good study regimens over there. There's really good schools, really healthy attitudes, very selfless attitude. Now there's like 25 professional South Korean women on the tour. They're the most overrepresented uh, country per capita. And it goes to show you now, that doesn't mean it can change. Uh, Brazil has the finest teaching methods for football, for, uh, for soccer, and they're the most heavily represented in the world. But back in the 50s, it was Hungary, right? Now, I don't think, mm. now, when you say soccer now, you don't think of Hungary. That's, no. a, that's no. typically not the first thought. And now they, they've gone into Brazil, and they quantified what was making these guys great, and it turned out to be futsal. And they've brought, brought it back to the United Kingdom. They've brought it to other countries. And now I think you're going to see it open up. And I think as... I've, I've seen a lot of Americans. I'm friends with some Americans who are already so... Some of these guys, like these business guys, come into poker, and in three years, they're better at than I am after like 15 years, right? They're just so focused, and they want it so bad. But they work with a lot of stuff that the Germans use, uh, the solvers and all that stuff. And, sim and database analysis is really big right now. And they're... They're huge on the high roller circuit as well. So it's not, it's not you know, a specific genetic makeup. It's just, are you doing the deliberate practice? Deliberate practice. Not just, are you... Uh, I was learning, when I was learning how to drive, I was thinking, I'm a better driver than most of the people on this road already because they seem to be ignoring all the rules and trying to get people killed. You can drive on the road for 30,000 hours and not learn anything. And I have spent 10,000 hours at a poker table and not learned that much. But if you do the deliberate practice, 3,000 hours can get you ahead of somebody in 15,000. And I guess we've really gone over time this time, Barry, huh? 
yeah, yeah. I guess it's horses for courses. Yeah, exactly. I I was just I, thinking I, the exact same thing. I think one of the problems could be from what from what I'm getting from what you're saying is what can happen is guys can watch poker go or these high rollers and then turn up at their local 60 man tournament at the casino and try some of these moves and wonder why they're not working. <laughs> and that, I, I, a lot of my work is stripping away those moves at the beginning of sessions. That happens a lot. Yeah. Okay, Alex, thanks for putting in a little bit extra time this week. Um, that'll make up for you uh, annihilating our previous two guys that wrote in with questions. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. It's a one-hour podcast. It's all, it's all fair here. It's, uh, it's, you know, contact. It's a contact mm. sport. Um, Alex, how can people get in touch with you for information on everything apart from how to crush a high roller? <laughs> uh, if you guys want to talk to me about private lessons, um, I, I'm actually about to do this promotion where I'm going to make it $100 for return, w- returning students. Well, it was uh, $120 for a package of, well, if you get one to five lessons, right? And... Uh, a hundred dollars a lesson after that. So if you get ten lessons, it's a thousand, right? And I was going to do it for returning customers because if I've worked with you before, I I have a list of about eight guys who I will never work with again. And if you're not on that list, I'm actually probably really excited to work with you again because ninety nine percent of my students are excellent. And yeah, but uh, if you say one outer in the email to me at alex at pokerheadrush.com, I'll give you the same rate. I won't give you the $200 an hour that we charge 80 90% of the year. So uh, got that going on. Uh, follow my blog at pokerheadrush.com. Sign up for my newsletter by going to that site. The newsletter, we have new videos, new podcasts, uh, new articles coming out like three, four times a week, free stuff. And I do a lot of stuff all over the internet. If you're trying to get this free poker strategy, you're going to either have to be Google searching constantly or you can just follow my newsletter and get it all delivered right to your email inbox uh, for free. So be sure to sign up for that at PokerEdRush.com. And I, oh, check me out on Tournament Poker Edge. Okay, and keep your questions coming in for Alex for future shows. Please email questions at com, and we will get them read out. Alex, thanks again for spending extra time with us. It's a bumper episode this week. And we will talk to you again next week. Until then, thanks for listening and cheers. Cheers. The OSS Cubed is back with over $14 million in guaranteed prize pools from September 24th to October 22nd. This massive tournament series features three $1 million guaranteed tournaments. The first takes place on October 15th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, featuring a half-price buy-in of just $265. Just one week later, on October 22nd, we'll have two million-dollar tourneys the same day, one with a $540 buy-in and the Boss Main Event with a $2,100 buy-in. AmericasCardroom.com